Let me encourage you to have the scripture in front of you as we uh, walk through it together. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Hear God's word. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So it's the reading of God's holy an inspired word. Let's pray together. O living and true God, as we reflect on this scripture together, please grant the working of your spirit and to open your word to our minds and hearts and to open our minds and hearts to your word. May you grant us that wisdom from above by your word and spirit through Jesus Christ. Amen. Long ago, there was a TV show uh, called To Tell the Truth, and there was a panel of uh, four celebrities who would come in, and, and they would do detective work, and there would be three contestants, and the contestants each pretended they were a certain person who had done something significant. It was somebody who wasn't really well known, but what they had done was, was kind of significant, and, and so the, uh, so the uh, celebrities would ask them questions and do do uh, detective work and try to figure out who is the real person that had done this significant thing. And they would have a certain amount of time, and then finally the panel would vote on who they thought was telling the truth. And once the votes were cast, uh, the host would say, would the real so-and-so please stand up? And the contestants would sort of fake for a little bit, and then the finally one would stand up, and you could see whether they had guessed correctly or not. And in a real sense, our scripture asks that same kind of question. Uh, verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? In other words, will the real wise people please stand up? And in this context... Uh, it seems to be especially focusing on the teachers in the church. The chapter begins, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And then it speaks of the way we all stumble, and especially with our tongues, with our words. Uh, but, but it's driving home the knockout punch here at the end. Will the truly wise person or the truly wise people please stand up? How can we tell who is really wise and who is not? And our Lord Jesus tells us, by their fruits you shall know them. And there are four things I want us to see. Uh, if you'd like to take notes, the four key words are uh, character, uh, consistency, um, conflict, and Christ. Character, consistency, conflict, and Christ. So notice that for true wisdom, character 
is crucial. Look at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. True wisdom comes from the inside out, and it gets shown by good works, by good deeds. These good fruits come from good roots. So long before Bruce Wayne was Batman or Peter Parker was Spider-Man, uh, Sir P Percy Blakeney was the Scarlet Pimpernel. And he played this role of a sissy or a fop when actually he was really smart and accomplished and strong and athletic and, and a good fighter and a good strategist. And some see the Christian faith like that. It's a role that we play. Uh, but Christian living is not just a disguise, it's not just a mask that we put on, it's not just a costume or makeup that we apply to the outside of our personalities, but the true Christian life starts with a changed heart. It flows from the inside out, and it grows out of inner transformation by Jesus Christ through His Holy Spirit working through His Word. And so, for true wisdom, the wisdom that Jesus Christ produces, character is crucial. And if character is crucial, then what's the first mark of, of true Christian character? And we're usually quick to say love, and if you say love, you're not really wrong. Uh, there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, but in fact, uh, over and over, the New Testament points us to meekness and humility. Again, look back at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness or humility of wisdom. The Apostle Paul spoke this way as well, Ephesians 4, verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with all meekness and gentleness. Or even our Lord Jesus Christ Himself says of Himself, Matthew eleven twenty nine, I am meek and lowly. And if anybody embodies true wisdom, it's the Lord Jesus Himself. He is the wisdom from God. And that means that true wisdom is like Jesus. True wisdom is Christ-like, which is why Jesus begins His Beatitudes with, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we're poor in spirit, when we're humble, when we see ourselves as helpless and in need of the Lord, we have nothing but the Lord has everything. That's the beginning. This is why John Calvin quoted Augustine with approval. This, you get two, two great theologians for the price of one. Kelvin quoted, quoted Augustine, Augustine saying this, a certain rhetorician or public speaker was asked what were the three main rules in eloquence? And he replied, delivery, delivery, and delivery. And then Augustine said and Kelvin said amen to it, if you ask me concerning the main graces of the Christian religion, I'll always answer humility, humility, humility. And so the, the principle is that consistency is crucial for true wisdom. We need a, or we, the character is crucial for true wisdom. We need a godly character that will produce this godly fruit. But the problem is, and this is the second point, that consistency is rare. Look at verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. 
do not boast. James 1, 8 warns against being a, quote, double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And to be double-minded is to be two-faced with God. It's to try to plant one foot in the world and the other foot in the kingdom of heaven and have it both ways. But the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Those who are driven by jealousy and selfish ambition show themselves to be double-minded, and they sow strife among the brethren. They should not boast, but they generally always do. They had dropped the role of the arbiter of truth uh, for the lives and behavior of everybody else. And if anybody else happens to question that, then they take on an air of arrogance. And arrogance is the besetting sin of those who do not realize that they don't know everything. Arrogance springs from a heart that is not poor in spirit, that is not humble, that is not meek. It springs from a heart that's double-minded, a heart that's divided. And a divided heart will get you nowhere with God. It will get you nowhere for God. And pretend holiness is no holiness at all. Real holiness is not a disguise that we put on or a role that we play, uh, but it comes out of our heart. It's genuine. It's sincere. This kind of pretense is false to the truth. Notice that this scripture says, do not be false to the truth. So when you pretend holiness, you're false to the truth in at least three ways. Number one, you hide the truth about yourself by pretending to be something that you're not. Number two, you hide the message of the truth from yourself because you, you, you put a wall between God's Word and your heart and you won't let God's Word challenge your heart. And number three, you hide and obscure the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ to others uh, because you've got this fake uh, Christianity rather than the real thing. And it keeps people away from seeing uh, the saving power of the Lord Jesus in your life. So in at least these three ways, pretend holiness is false to the truth. But on the other hand, genuine Christian holiness starts in the heart, and it flows out from the heart to transform the life, the words, the deeds, the behavior. It flows from the roots to produce fruits. And God's Word and Spirit energize it to produce the new birth, and they continue to empower it to produce holy living, consecration to God, uh, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So first, character is crucial to true wisdom. Consistency is rare. This means that third, conflict is inescapable. Conflict is inescapable because when you're born again, the Holy Spirit makes war against your flesh, and your flesh makes war against the Holy Spirit. So with that in mind, look again at verses 14 through 18, and we're going to look closely at these verses. And notice that these, two, these verses identify two competing kinds of wisdom. And we're going to ask three questions about each of these. Uh, number one, where is it from? Number two, what is it like? And number three, what does it produce or what does it do? So question number one, and we'll ask it of each of these two kinds of wisdom, where is it from? And the first kind of wisdom is said to be not from above. Look at the end of verse 14 and verse 15. Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. 
the wisdom that we want, the wisdom that we need is the wisdom that comes from above, but this wisdom instead comes from below. And look closely at these words. It's earthly. In other words, it's tied to this world. It's enslaved by this world. It's enthralled to the world. Second, it's unspiritual. That is, it's never touched by or sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's of the flesh. So the world, the flesh. And third, it's demonic. Literal, it's literally inspired by hell. It's from the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil are driving this kind of wisdom from below. But what about the other wisdom? Look at the beginning of verse 17. <clears throat> but the wisdom from above... This wisdom is from above. In other words, it's from heaven. In other words, it's from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the living and true God. Uh, so look back at James chapter 1, verse 5. Don't lose your place here, but, but look back at James 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. If you lack wisdom... If you realize, I don't have this wisdom from above, where do you get it? Ask God, because the wisdom from above comes from above, from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, the struggle for true wisdom, the battle for holiness, is a battle that we need to wage in dependence on God. And, the, and James 1.5 especially points us to prayer. We need to pray for it, uh, because only God can give it to us. Remember what Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's the first thing we know when we're poor in spirit, when we are meek and humble. We recognize apart from the Lord, we really can do nothing. So where is this wisdom from above? Uh, the wrong kind is from below, the right kind is from above. Question number two, what is wisdom like? Well, what is the wisdom from below like? Look at the beginning of verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist. The wisdom from below is marked by these two things, jealousy and selfish ambition. It's a kind of wisdom that's bound to this world, that's not touched by the Holy Spirit, that Satan himself breathes into the soul. It's of the world, the flesh, and the devil, and its chief marks, the way you recognize it, is jealousy and selfish ambition, which comes naturally to each of us, as naturally as breathing, but it's the polar opposite of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, as we heard this morning, Philippians 2, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The wisdom from below is marked by jealousy and selfish ambition, but Jesus was in stark contrast to that. There's not even a hint of jealousy in our Lord Jesus. There's not even a hint of selfish ambition. Even though he was in the form of God, even though he was God, he didn't cling to that but he humbled himself, emptied himself. So if you're not scared enough of the wisdom from below, just then be scared of this. It's not just not like Jesus Christ, but it's also positively like Antichrist. 
On, on the other hand, what's the wisdom from above like? Look at verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And when you look closely at these and think about them, it's like they're pointing in three different directions. Uh, first of all, one looks towards God, the other direction looks towards other people, and the third direction looks towards ourselves. So first, towards God, and then keep looking at verse 17, the wisdom from above is first pure. That is, when, you, when you're in the grip of the wisdom from above, that means that you love God sincerely. You love Him with a sincere heart. Uh, yes, when your heart is sincere, you say, my love is so weak, it could be stronger, but you really love God. God is the object of your love. And when you're in the grip of the wisdom from above, that means you live for God, and you live for God righteously, seeking uh, to be like Him, seeking to obey Him, seeking to purify yourself as He is pure. But the wisdom from above also has qualities that, that affect other people. So keep looking at verse 17. The wisdom from above is first pure, then, and notice these qualities, peaceable. It's not just peace-loving, but it's positively peacemaking. As Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And those who are, are, are in the grip of God's wisdom and seek to make peace, they do so by, and keep, keep following in this verse, by being gentle and open to reason. That is, they care about other people. They care about what other people think. They're willing to listen to what other people think. They're willing to reconsider what they themselves think. Because they're not all important. They're not driven by jealousy and selfish ambition. They're driven by love for the Lord. And they're driven by love for other people for the sake of the Lord. And keep following along in verse 17. This wisdom from above is full of mercy and good fruits. It displays the faith in action that the whole book of James keeps stressing as so important as the mark of true believers. And especially, it displays mercy towards those who are needy, mercy towards those who are in need, who, have, who are without something that they need. Whether it's financial need, whether it's need for uh, compassion and sympathy, whether, whatever the need is, uh, this wisdom from above is marked by mercy. And it doesn't just stop with feeling mercy, uh, but it's full of all other good fruits. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Continue to follow along in verse 17. It's impartial. It's the same word we saw in James chapter 2, that we're to be without partiality. Uh, we're not to be we're not to prejudge people because of their background, their skin color, their whatever, uh, but we are to be impartial. Uh, we are to love people for the Lord's sake. Uh, but this wisdom also has a, an impact on ourselves. Keep looking at verse uh, 17. Finally, the wisdom from above is sincere. It is sincere. In other words, the wisdom from above doesn't wear a mask doesn't need a mask because it's got nothing to hide. The, 
the person who is in the grip of God's wisdom from above is the same person inside and outside, the same person uh, with this person and with that person, with this group of people and with that group of people. The wisdom from above never plays a role, doesn't need a disguise to hide its real aims and motives because it's sincere. The wisdom from below turns you into a chameleon. You have to act different when you're with different people in order to get your way. But the wisdom from above sets you free to be yourself. It sets you free to be the same inside and out, no matter who you're with. Well, question number three about these two kinds of wisdom. What does wisdom do? Well, first of all, what about the wisdom from below? Look at the, the end of verse 16. There will be disorder and every vile practice. So first, the wisdom from below produces disorder. And this is a word that James has used in other parts of this epistle. Uh, chapter 1, verse 8, uh, instability. Chapter 3, verse 8, restlessness. Uh, here in, in chapter 3, verse 16, disorder. It produces disorder. It, it disorganizes things. It disintegrates things. Things that are are supposed to reflect God who is a God of order, fail to reflect Him. They begin to fall apart. And because of that, it also, and again, look at verse 16, it produces every vile practice. This double-mindedness, trying to, trying to serve God and serve the world at the same time, serve God and serve self at the same time, it can't be kept inside and it can't be kept under control. Eventually, it will break out. And when it does, it produces every vile practice. And this is especially telling if it's especially talking about teachers in the church, as we saw uh, chapter 3, verse 1 begins, especially focusing on teachers in the church. Now, I grew up in Protestant liberalism, and the gist of the message that, that I heard preached every week and taught in Sunday school was this. In modern times, we've got science so we know a lot better than the superstitious people of olden times, of Bible times. We know that the miracles that the Bible talks about are not true. They, that's impossible. They didn't really happen. Um, but we also know that the morals of the Bible are true. They're good. So be good. It's good to be good, and it's bad to be bad. That was the gist of the message that I was uh, raised with through high school. But what's the fruit of that teaching? Well, alas, it did, did not stop me from committing terrible sins, and not just me. Uh, but today, those very same denominations not only defend every vile practice, they want to ordain to the highest offices, and some of them already have ordained to the highest offices of the church, those who actually do practice every vile practice. The wisdom from below produces disorder and sin. But what does the wisdom from above produce? Look at verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. In other words, the wisdom from above produces a harvest, a great harvest of righteousness, which is the exact opposite of every vile practice. The wisdom from above produces righteousness, obedience to God from the heart that which conforms to God's holy character. And so the result of living, of, of receiving God's wisdom from above are lives that are pleasing to God. 
Oh, may God grant us and his church today the wisdom from above that produces this fruit. And look again at verse 18. Notice that this great harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And here and throughout the Bible, God puts great stress on the relationships of believers with one another. How important the communion of the saints is. How important Christian fellowship is. How important Christian love is. Practical Christian love. Deep Christian love. Vital Christian love. Spiritual Christian love. And one of the saddest things in a local church is when walls grow up to divide the members from each other. Even worse, when the members build those walls on purpose by by gossiping about each other, by slandering each other, by holding grudges against each other. See, that's a sign not of the wisdom from above, but it's a sign of the influence of the wisdom from below, from the world, from the flesh, from the devil. And I'm fully persuaded that one of Satan's chief strategies is divide and conquer. And alas, didn't we see him pursuing that strategy with gusto the last two years uh, during this whole COVID fiasco? He'll seize any opportunity uh, that he gets, and he certainly did seize that one. And entire congregations were divided, entire families were divided. And division is not the fruit of the wisdom from above. Division is the fruit of the wisdom from below, from the world, the flesh, and the devil. But on the other hand, one of the most beautiful things that you can see in a local church is when a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Or again, as Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So first, character is crucial to wisdom. Secondly, consistency is rare because we're sinners. Third, conflict is inescapable because even saved sinners have a struggle going on, the Holy Spirit making war against their flesh and their flesh making war against the Holy Spirit. Which means fourth and finally, Christ is our only hope. The wisdom that comes from above comes from above. And that means we need to seek it from above, from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and especially through the one mediator between God and man, our Lord Jesus Christ. This wisdom from above is not natural to us, and it doesn't grow naturally in our flesh. What is natural to us? If you could, look back at Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3. Don't lose your place here. But look at Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, a familiar passage. This is what comes naturally to us. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. There's the world. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. There's the devil, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And there's the flesh. The world, the devil, the flesh, that's what comes naturally to us. The wisdom from below just comes as naturally as falling off a log. We need Jesus to rescue us, to unite us savingly to himself, to put his Holy Spirit in our hearts, uh, to deliver us from the dominion of the world to the dominion of heaven. And not just for the beginning of the Christian life, for the ongoing whole of the Christian life. 
We need Jesus to be the sin's double cure in that hymn, Rock of Ages. Uh, we pray that Jesus would be sin's double cure, that he would cleanse us from its guilt, saving us from, from the punishment that our sins deserve for, and bringing forgiveness, but also that he would make us pure. That is, that he would sanctify us and conform us more and more to the image of Christ until finally we see him face to face and we are like him. Well, this starts with new hearts that are born again, born from above, with this new status of being forgiven of sins and righteous in God's sight, but that continues with lives that are transformed. Or think of it this way, Jesus Christ worked righteousness for us by his death, by his resurrection, by his perfect life. He worked what we need. He did so for us, and God counts that as ours when we trust him as our Savior. But then he poured out his Holy Spirit who came to live in our hearts, and he now works his righteousness in us so that we become more and more like him. Our lives are transformed from the inside out. But this never comes without conflict, the flesh fighting against the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit fighting against the flesh. And so we have to keep saying, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. We're going to keep falling flat on our faces unless the Lord uh, carries us through. And, and even so, we're going to fall flat on our faces, but there's fresh grace day after day so that we can be forgiven and have a fresh start and have fresh strength uh, to persevere in that fresh start. But apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. So keep relying on Jesus. I like to speak about the importance of spiritual breathing. Uh, if you've ever, I used to be a lifeguard and I, and I did a lot of first aid type work. And, and if somebody's traumatized, one of the things that, that the EMT or the first uh, responder would say is keep breathing, keep breathing. And that's an important thing to, to think about with your spiritual life. Keep breathing in God's word. Keep breathing out your prayers. Keep breathing in God's word. Keep breathing out your prayers. Because apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. So when we encourage you to have daily devotions or secret worship or whatever you prefer to call it, it's not just another duty that you can do and then say, okay, I got this one out of the way. I get a, another point with God. No, it's your way of staying alive, of re relying on Jesus, apart from whom you can do nothing. Breathing in his word, breathing out your prayers. James 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, the wisdom from above, let him ask God. Ask God. Go to him and say, Lord, I am marked more by jealousy and selfish ambition than I am by these other qualities that are like Jesus. Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. Without reproach. So God won't yell at you when you come to him and say, I'm I'm a sinner and I need your help, I need your forgiveness, and I need your strength. No, he gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But not only does this uh, wisdom from above never come without conflict, but it also never comes in isolation. It comes in the context of living Christian fellowship. So reflect again on verse 18. A great harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. 
This is talking about relationships in the body of Christ. And as Christians love one another, as they make peace, as they build a loving Christian community, a peaceful Christian community, a great harvest of righteousness is sown. It's like sowing seeds, all these kind deeds of love and consideration to one another are like seeds that you sow that produce this great harvest of righteousness. So rededicate yourself to pursuing close spiritual fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Rededicate yourself to sowing in peace, planting seeds of peace. Rededicate yourself to making peace. Sometimes that means apologizing and asking forgiveness. Sometimes that means granting forgiveness. And sometimes that means helping others who can't get to that point. Uh, but in reliance on God's grace in Christ, do what you can to try to build loving Christian relationships in the body of Christ. In reliance on God's grace in Christ, continually breathing in His Word, breathing out your prayers, do what you can to cultivate a culture of grace in the body of Christ. A place that's challenging and correcting to defiant sinners, but a place that's welcoming and safe uh, for repentant sinners or sinners who are seeking new life in Christ. That's the evidence of true wisdom. Not the wisdom from below. It's marked by jealousy and selfish ambition. But the wisdom from above, it's a free gift of God's grace in Christ, applied by the Holy Spirit. And it's a wisdom that He gives to everyone and anyone who is poor in spirit and calls out on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. My wife's great-grandfather was a pioneer missionary uh, to the natives in northern Manitoba. I mean, way up north, and way back in a time when the only way to get there was by canoe and dog sled. And a colleague came to work in a village where the Lord had converted uh, many of the natives, and he was leading worship one Lord's Day when all of a sudden there was this great racket, and, and this fellow comes comes in, and, and the missionary said, he, he was like he was trotting, and he was saying, ho, 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 and he went around greeting and kissing all the men and all the women, he, he's just, and he just, just completely disrupts the service, and he's got all sorts of ornaments on, and he, he, the missionary said he was dressed kind of hideously, but he's wearing all these ornaments and pagan totems, and, and every time he moves, it, it, it cl makes a clatter and a noise, and, and finally one, uh, I think every church must have a big guy to be a deacon, but one of the guys, they called him Big Tom, one of the, one of the Christians, uh, invited him to sit down. And so he sat down, and, and the pastor continued his sermon, and, but this poor fellow had a hard time listening, and so he pulled out his pipe, and it was a big long pipe, and put tobacco in it and started smoking his pipe during the sermon, and and the missionary was kind of upset. He was sort of ready to kick this guy out. But he, he looked and he noticed that all the, all the members of the congregation, all the natives uh, who were Christians, were just taking it in stride. They were very uh, calm and very forgiving uh, to this fellow. And so he said, well, if they can do that, then I can too. And, and so he, he continued his sermon. And afterwards, he was talking to them and said, why were you so patient uh, with this fellow. And they said, well, it wasn't that long ago that we were just like him, and God redeemed us, and if God gives him light, then he'll, he'll change too. 
the wisdom from above. It's not natural. It's supernatural. And you don't have to live in civilization to experience it. And you don't have to have a lot of advantages to experience it. It comes directly from the Lord by His Holy Spirit working through His Word. So keep looking to the Lord above for the wisdom from above and keep showing it by good deeds done in the meekness uh, that comes from wisdom. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we thank You for uh, Your great grace towards sinners like us and others like us. Give us grace that we would be uh, poor in spirit, that we would see ourselves as chiefs, chief of sinners, that we would recognize that in ourselves we have nothing to commend us, no, no merit, no strength, uh, but in Jesus we have everything. So may we continue to breathe in your word, and may we continue to breathe out our prayers, and may you work that supernatural change in us that displaces the jealousy and selfish ambition that comes so naturally uh, with these uh, qualities of, of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And may you do so not just in this church and in our families, but throughout all churches that call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Please grant revival and reformation. Begin in us and use us toward that end. For Jesus' sake, amen. We're going to sing a setting of Psalm 133. Psalm 133 is a brief psalm, and it talks about the blessing of unity in the body of Christ, but it says it's like two things. It's like the oil that was poured out on Aaron's head and went down when he was anointed and went down even to the hem of his garment. And it says it's like the, the dew that comes down on Mount Hermon and refreshes and waters the plants. Well, what do those have in common? Well, oil and water are both symbols of the Holy Spirit in God's Word, but not only that, both the oil and the water come down from above. The wisdom from above is communicated from Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. So let's stand together and sing Psalm 133.
lift up your hearts, look to the Lord, the triune God of grace, for the blessing that he gives from above. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.